Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome, listeners, to a very special episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good morning, Doug. Hey, guys. Good morning. Hey, Doug. So, listeners, we should clarify that we're actually not at 11,000 feet today. We're not in our usual recording place at the Mono County Office of Education. We are actually each in our individual homes through the wonders of technology. We're able to record this episode of our podcast. So we're following the directive of uh, the governor and the public health officer to stay put. And I'm I'm in the middle. I'm in Crowley Lake at about 7,000 feet today. Christopher's to the south of me in his home and Doug is to the north of both of us in his home. We are. We're spread out many miles apart, and the wonders mm-hmm. of technology are bringing us together. And I feel, you know, you said various elevations. We are at various elevations. I feel like I've been in mentally in various elevations over the last week and a half, <laughs> frankly, which I'm sure many of our listeners feel as well. It's so true. And the this new world of working from home has really has has been very difficult to become accustomed to not not only because i have my children here and trying to deal with the homeschooling and keeping them occupied and keeping them from killing each other um <laughs> but you know addressing having to still work and my husband works from home all the time so that that's been a really new situation for us trying to adapt just like it is for everybody right now. Yeah, it it really is surprising, isn't it? We were chatting a little bit beforehand how, you know, some people kind of dream from working from home. You get to wear your sweats, you know, you can have your pets around, yada yada yada, but the reality of it, especially when you're with an organization that's regearing itself to still be operational during an emergency, it's surprising how busy you actually are. And I, I was mentioning, I feel like I haven't had a day off in about a week and a half just because there's always something new coming up and the adrenaline's running and, um, and it's all good. Um, but it's just an experience and a transition that can be a little difficult. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I have to give a big shout out to all of our, all of the MCOE employees and the library employees and first five, everybody has just really risen to the occasion and doing everything that they can, given this new environment, um, to support kids, to keep programs in place and, you know, keep, keep us all moving forward in a positive way as we navigate the coronavirus and, and these new restrictions that we're facing. And Christopher, the library has done an amazing job of providing opportunities for engagement. So can you talk to us more about that? Sure. And um, I'll also give kudos to all the team that we're working with who are busily transitioning to a virtual environment. So, uh, yeah, we, we came together like many organizations across the county and across the country 
kind of huddled together on what could we do to continue to reach the people who use and rely on libraries, um, young and old. So, you know, we can't, we're doing online story times, you know, online maker activities. And then one of the things that we felt was important was to keep people engaged when they're going stir crazy in their house. Mm -hmm. Um, you can only walk the dog so many times, right? Um, (laughs) And at some point, the TV is going to get to you. So we created a page on the library website called Cabin Fever Resources because, you know, the coronavirus is leading to cabin fever. So uh, these are just free online cabin fever remedies people can go to and just they're rabbit holes or things to learn or ways to contribute back. So we have categories for young children and cat and families, you know, where to go online to find children's authors reading their store, their books as story times. Um, I think everyone is watching lunch doodle with Mo Willems on Mondays. I've um, heard about that. It's awesome. You know, he's such a, he's a great storyteller and illustrator to begin with. I think this is just exposing him to a whole new level of, of people. And of course we have uh, Mono County's trails to literacy, early learning app, um, Stacy, that you brought yes. footsteps that, to brilliance that kids can, students, um, can go into and, and with their families build their early learning and early literacy skills as they get ready for school, which is really terrific. Um, and then it goes up, you know, we listed our podcast, yes. the, the parks and recreation in Mammoth lakes is posting a, a quarantivity of the day activity on their Facebook page. Mono Arts Council is doing a lot of stuff. And then we just found some fun rabbit holes to go down. So, um, you know, if you want to learn something, um, you can go to the Khan Academy and find free online courses. So if you want to learn a language or learn a new skill, there's a Omni calculator that just has a whole bunch of different things you can calculate, like the, how bad is an earthquake or how much... <laughs> How much toilet paper do you need to last for the next four <laughs> weeks based on the number of people you have in your home? Those are just kind of fun, fun things. And one of my favorite that I just added yesterday is this site called askthepast.net. And that's linked on this page. Um, and it's advice from old books, you know, ranging from how to remove wrinkles to how to survive a mermaid attack. And what this is... A mermaid um, attack. Okay. A mermaid attack. These are... People who have taken the archives of really old collections, like hundreds and hundreds of years old, these books, um, and kind of made them engaging in a fun, interactive way. And so it's basically giving life advice from history. So I mentioned I've got uh, uh, hay fever coming up now because the pollen's coming out and my nose is all stuffy. And so there's actually advice here called How to Cure a Stuffy Nose from the year 1658. And oh my! And what what are some of the things that they just give us a little tease? Sure. What, so, <laughs> what is one of those remedies? <laughs> so I'll just read it out. It's really short. If any man shall but touch or kiss with his mouth the snout or nostrils of a mouse, and be troubled with a disease called the room, which falleth down and stuffeth the nostrils, he shall in very short space be eased of the same. So. the little quirk blurb says cold season checklist tissues hot tea the quivering snout of a vulgar little mouse these are just old you know Mm. wives tales remedies you know 
That's so great. There's a whole bunch of them. I encourage people to go and explore how to raise a toddler, how to cure well werewolves, how to converse politely. Um, it's just kind of a fun way to look at history and um, engage with it in a new way. So I encourage people to go to the Cabin Fever page of the Mono County Library's website. It's under online library, and there's stuff there for all ages. It'll keep you busy. There's stuff you can contribute to so you can learn something new or actually engage in projects on the internet um, and just stuff to kind of keep your mind sane and engaged until we can all safely go outside again. Well, those, all those resources sound amazing. And listeners, I hope you'll check it out when you have find yourself without something to do in these next coming weeks or if the weather's <laughs> bad and you can't go outside for your 100th million walk of the day. Um, we'll plenty post, to keep you busy there. Yeah, we'll post the link on the Instagram and the show page so people can get to it easily. Great. Listeners, take a deep breath. We'll be right back. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease may include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you are experiencing these symptoms and have come into contact or are in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult with a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Welcome back, listeners, to the book section of our podcast, the reading section. We've both been reading, right, Stace? We have, although we were just saying not as much as we'd like to be, given the fact <laughs> that we're working from home, you'd think there'd be more time in the day, but there's you just know, not. It's true. You know, uh, when that order from the governor came down with the stay-at-home directive, you know, it, the the reality of being shut inside really took hold in my brain. I started looking out at all the to read piles I have in my house because I'm a librarian. Uh-huh. I can't help it. I've got books to read in just every room of my house. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to really, you know, now be forced into getting through some of these piles. And I have to say, I haven't really yet. So um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. <laughs> but maybe as the days go by, We'll, we'll get to them. But I did read a couple of really great new books. So we wanted listeners to talk about um, the new books that are coming out this spring. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, spring is the second big season of the publishing season. And normally bookstores are filled with new books starting right about now into early June. And, um, you know, I know a lot of booksellers are still doing business online and in other creative ways. So I encourage you to support them even while your libraries are closed. And of course, there's also ebooks and audiobooks that are available from libraries as well. But I want to talk about a couple of books, Stace, and then hand it over to you if that's okay. Perfect. So the first one that I'll talk about really kind of briefly is an author that we've talked about before, Eric Larson. Who you're familiar with. We love him. He wrote The Devil in the White City, which you read for the podcast a few months ago. Yes. And I was just talking about it with my husband last night and how I was saying it was it was far and away my favorite book of 2019. Love that book. 
It's a it's a great great book, and and you know many of his other books are also equally popular. And I'm sure this new one, which is called "The Splendid and the Vile: A Saga of Churchill, Family, and Defiance During the Blitz," um, will also be equally popular. So this book is, as you would think, and in keeping with Eric Larson, is a narrative nonfiction of a window in time of um, Churchill becoming prime minister in the United Kingdom just as World War II was starting and everything that was going on. It covers basically a year from the spring of 1940 to the spring of 1941 when he became prime minister and Germany had invaded the rest of Europe basically and France gave up and um, what have you. And, and, the United Kingdom was basically the last country standing, <laughs> the next to be mm-hmm. invaded. Um, and they were really just trying to gear up for what that would mean. The The Blitz was there, the Nazi planes coming over and bombing the islands and um, doing all sorts of damage to a country that was kind of small and under-resourced. And how Churchill really tried to work very hard to keep morale up to keep um, you know their response to the war moving forward and also to really really try to convince the United States to support them by going into the war or providing them resources which at that time was not a given the United States really wasn't interested in being part of what was going on in Europe at that point but the way larson approaches it is typical of his other books mm-hmm. like he he looks at a variety of different plot lines going on so there's the churchill plot line which he really does great research on a lot of people will read this and and who have read other books on churchill and will recognize a lot of what goes on but you'll still learn new things about him and then he also picks up some side characters. So Churchill's daughter, Mary, who is a teenager and what she's going through. And she wants very much to be a teenager um, while the war is starting. Um, and then also one of Churchill's aides, this guy named Jock Colville, who, you know, he was supporting Churchill uh, in the work that they were doing. But also he, on the sly, was pursuing a kind of unrequited love affair with this woman who was stringing him along, basically. So, um, you know, he weaves all these different stories together. And and the parts of it that really jumped out to me um, Mm -hmm. were the stories of just average, everyday, um, you know, British people dealing with planes coming over and bombing their towns and cities every night. They had, the government had, before the war started, sent, done a survey project where they sent out diaries up to a variety of people living around the country to kind of understand um, British life and kind of as a research project. And then the war started. And so these diaries became really, really useful in understanding how everyday people dealt with these things. And, you know, it it, that's where some of the real more, most visceral descriptions of what was going on come out. And one of the things that struck me, for instance, is when the bombings first started and people understood what it meant to be bombed, you know, many of the buildings they were living in were like centuries old, right? Mm-hmm. So a plane would come over and bomb it and just basically pulverize everything. And people living around it would be struck by just how 
the dust that came out after a bomb mm-hmm. dropped, right? Like right. everything's covered in this dust and realizing <laughs> that the dust has been there for centuries itself, you know? And and he phrases that in a very poetic way. So I, I didn't read the quote because I want you guys to read it. But also just the 21st century reader is like, oh my gosh, what's in that dust that's going to hurt people, you know? So it's kind of kind of interesting for just these little side bits. And he, as per usual, he also does some side stories from the German side. So he follows mm-hmm. a German ace pilot who fights in the blitz from the other side. And then also uh, many people would be familiar with Rudolf Hess, who was mm-hmm. Hitler's second in command actually early on in the war flew over to the United Kingdom on his own without telling anyone because he was convinced he could talk the United Kingdom out of pursuing the war. He thought he could be a peacemaker um, it was really just a, uh, yeah, right. It was yeah. really just um, a crazy, crazy thing that he did. But he talks about him flying over there and the attempts that he had made and how he was trying to hide it. It's just fascinating stuff that doesn't necessarily come out in so other histories. I have, I have a question about: Does he? Do you? Did you get a feeling like he was, um, you know, blow? You know, like. Can, does he portray Churchill as a hero, like as a mythical, you know, character, you know, that gives him, does he associate attributes with him? You know, like we think of Churchill as this, mm-hmm. you know, very compelling yeah. leader. Does he Larger characterize him in? Yes. Yeah. So he talks about that, right? So he does definitely uh, portray him as a hero and bring all his positive attributes out. And he talks about how there was Churchill, the larger than life figure who would show up, you know, in the East end of London after it's been bombed and the reactions people would have just from him showing up. And then also Churchill, the guy who, you know, Mm -hmm. was a difficult guy to be married to, wasn't always the easiest father Um, or the easiest boss. And, you know, so he kind of um, balances those two really, really well. So you do see Churchill the human for Mm -hmm. all of his frailties and his motivations. And you also see Churchill the the figurehead, which is compelling. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Larson does so well is really Mm -hmm. he, you know, he doesn't over-dramatize his um, subjects. You know, right. he really he really gives you a rounded picture. Another mm-hmm. thing I think is interesting is that I, I'm reading another one of his books right now, an older book of his called mm-hmm. In the Garden of Beasts, mm-hmm. which talks about um, the earlier part, you know, before World War II actually started, is set in Berlin and tells about William Dodd, who was appointed as the ambassador to Germany. Right. Right. When Hitler starts to take power. Right. And one thing that's very interesting is that, as you said, Larson has these kind of side stories. And in The Garden of Beasts, he focuses also on Dodd's daughter, Martha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's you know, interesting how he in these two books, he's focused on the, you know, of course, the main point of the story, the main character. the um, But then also the relationship with the daughter. So. Well, that's kind of, it kind of helps humanize a very inhuman scenario, right? Mm-hmm. It yep. could just be so daunting, but it's those daily human stories. And I, I think that's what we'll learn out of the scenario we're all living through right now is those human stories are the ones that really 
um, impact us emotionally right. and, and make yeah. it, make it something that we could understand. And actually I, you know, in a garden of beasts came out, I think about 10 years ago, yeah. it actually would be a good bookend to read with, um, the splendid and the vile that, you know, for the reason you described, you know, it's like the German yeah. side and it's just before all this stuff really starts. Yeah. Um, I'm really learning a lot. I, you know, admittedly, I didn't study much of world war two in my, um, you know, high school and college days. So it's nice to learn so much about that period, that time period. Right. Um, but you right. have another book you wanted to tell us about. Yeah. So the other book that I wanted is also history, but it's fiction. Um, cause I'm a big fan of historical fiction as you all know. So it's the new book that just came out as well. It's Hillary Mantel's the mirror and the light. Um, which is the third book in her award-winning trilogy about Thomas Cromwell. So many of you will remember the books Wolf Hall and Bringing Up the Bodies. So this one is the third book that wraps up his life. So just a real quick history lesson. Um, it's extensively researched. Um, Thomas Cromwell was an advisor to Henry VIII. Most people know Henry VIII was the king that had six wives and chopped <laughs> their heads off or divorced them or what have you, and was notorious for chopping the heads off all sorts of people. So he's a very difficult person to work for. Um, she, and obviously to live with, too. <laughs> obviously to live with, exactly. Um, Thomas Cromwell is often um, portrayed as a very dark character um, because he was the one who kind of helped Henry VIII go off the edge and start all that stuff. So you, he's kind of a dark character in many other works. So many people will remember the play in the movie, A Man for All Seasons, or, you know, if you watch the Tudors on TV a few years ago, you know, it's just a, that Henry VIII's court was just a hotbed of intrigue and manipulation. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Cromwell helped drive a lot of that. So he's often portrayed very darkly. Um, but what Hillary Mantel has been able to do is kind of really make him a human being and, um, you know, kind of portray him in a less dark light, which is part of what's controversial about these books. People, I don't mm -hmm. think many historians or people aren't quite so receptive to this. Um, but she really does this um, in a very smart way. Um, you know, cause this is the guy who helped England abolish Catholicism, you know, got his first divorce and then helped him behead his second queen, um, Anne Boleyn. And, but you know right. what, he was a guy who, he wasn't born to the manor. He was the son of a blacksmith. And so very unusually, he rose to this powerful, powerful position of prominence in the most controversial and difficult court in Europe. Um, so he's definitely cunning and a power player and, um, you know, would have to be to rise so high considering right. his origins, but the way she writes him, it makes him feel like if you put him in modern clothes, he'd fit right into politics today. <laughs> you know, it's true. And, and even if you didn't like him, you'd probably enjoy a dinner with him. That's how she, how personable she makes them. Um, and she really pulls out the whole nature of the intrigue, you know, the human nature and motivations of people desperately wanting to be in a powerful sphere of influence mm -hmm. or who believe they deserve to be there just by who they are. Um, and what I love about reading this kind of history that is so well-written and so well-researched, it's compelling. It really is a page turner, even though I know what's going to happen at the end. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like Eric Larson in that regard. 
Um, And then also, you know, regardless of where you fall on your personal political spectrum, you can read this book for an hour, put it down, watch the nightly news about what's going on in Congress or the White House or the Supreme Court, and then pick the book back up again. And your mind will almost read it as a single theme because history repeats itself, right? Yeah. Intrigue Mm -hmm. happens today. Cunning, you know, heads are, you know, being chopped off today, not literally, but you know, that stuff still happens. Um, and as you said, you know, especially when it comes to having such a high power job, one, you're always one step away mm -hmm. from the chopping block. And so it's just fun to read about that stuff. So you said this was part of a, a part of a trilogy. Can you read Mm -hmm. it as a standalone or do you need to read the, the other pieces of it as well? You can read it as a standalone. She kind of, you know, does a little bit of a slight recap at the beginning of the second and third to bring the reader up to speed because it's been many years between her Uh books. Um, I would like someday to go back and read them all three um, cover to cover Mm -hmm. in sequence just to see, so I can better understand how she uh, created the arc of his life from, you know, coming from such humble origins to, um, you know, where he goes at the end. Um, but, you know, I, I think what the many people who are reading this book today are people who have already read the first two, which were really okay. highly visible. It really, uh-huh. she was a great writer to begin with, but this propelled her to the highest ranks of literary writers. She won the wow. Booker Prize for both of the other books. So she's a big contender for the Booker Prize with The Mirror and the Light. Um, okay. And she's a compelling writer. And in fact, the New York Times Review compared her writing to Robert Caro, who is a nonfiction writer who wrote the famous multi-volume biography of President Lyndon Johnson. So, um, you know, it's almost like she brings a real historian's eye to a work of fiction, um, but in a very compelling way. So again, that's the Hillary. That's the Hillary. It is Hillary Mantel's The Mirror and the Light. And I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it sounds great. You always, every book you describe are books that now I add to my list. I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> so I'll just start bringing my unread to be read piles over to your house. There you go. And there we'll go from there. And then you can make me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been reading lately, Stace? So um, in, in the theme of reading newly published, newly released books, I just finished um, a book that was published in March of this year by Rebecca Searle, and it's mm-hmm. called In In Five Years. This mm-hmm. is definitely a palate cleanser. Um, it is a Good Morning America and a Marie Claire book club pick. Um, it, was, it was named the most anticipated book of 2020 by the Washington Post. Wow. Uh, Re- Rebecca Searle, she's a young, a young author, but she's already published several books. Um, but it's a it's a great read. Um, it, it's a quick read. It tells the story of a, a an attorney named Danny Cohn. She is, you know, she has planned her life to the T. She has the, you know, the the outside of the book. She goes for an interview for her dream job, which she gets, and then that night they she and her boyfriend go to the Rainbow Room and they get engaged, and mm-hmm. you know, her life is going to be perfect, but. That the, night, sh- go ahead. The Rainbow Room being the restaurant at the top the of Rockefeller t- Center. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, awesome. Which, which I really want to go to someday. But that's a different <laughs> podcast. That's a different discussion. Um, 
anyway, so that night she has a dream and the dream is so vivid. She wakes up in the dream. She wakes up and she's in a different apartment with a different guy, but that's her life. And it's five years to the day from when she went to sleep. Oh my goodness. And so she has this, you know, this vivid, vivid dream and she wakes up in the morning and she's so disturbed by this, but you know, eventually she's like, all right, I can't, I can't keep thinking about this. I'm putting it away. And then the story fast forwards four years in the future Uh and, um, her life starts to change. She actually has an encounter with the guy who was in her dream. He shows up as the boyfriend of her best friend. And, Uh and then she has to kind of grapple and it's, you know, she has to kind of navigate now this, this person, you know, knowing what was in this dream, navigate what's going to happen with this individual and how she's going to react to him. And, then something catastrophic happens with her best friend. And, you know, it, it's the idea of, you know, you make plans and God laughs, right? Yeah, that famous right. Um, phrase. And um, does she resist? Of, she does. She definitely yeah. resists. And then things start, circumstances, things happen that compel her to just change her life. And, um, you know, even though she's resisted changes, she eventually kind of yields to them in, in different ways, the, the different pressures that come at her and just the, the, where she thought in the interview at the outset of the novel, her, the, the prospective boss asked her, where do you see yourself in five years? Mm-hmm. And she's has this canned answer already planned. Like we all and do. And so it just, it just kind of shows that, you know, we're, especially when you're young like that, when you're in your twenties and your thirties, what you think your life is going to be in five years almost never really comes to pass. That is so true. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, this must be true for you too. Like I know when I thought when I was 25 where I thought would be, I would be at 30 was not where I was. Right. And that happened oh, over and over again. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's so strange how I, I feel like thinking about it, your life, when you're, you know, when you graduate from high school and you accelerate through your twenties and into your thirties, things happen at such breakneck speed right? and things change on a dime. Right. But then when you get into your forties and your fifties, I'm mean, at least in my case, things are settled and the days start to look the same and it starts feeling like Groundhog Day. You know, your <laughs> life is in, in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> I was going to say, are we leading up to a midlife crisis conversation no, here? No, no, no. In, in, the, in the best of ways, but it's just yeah. so different. It's just so different. And, um, well, you know, having, well, having two children who are navigating their 20s right now. Right. You know, seeing what they're going through. I mean, this this book made me reflect not only on what my life was like during that time period, but kind of what they're going through right now. Well, it's true, right? Because we have the we're both in our 50s now, um, Mm -hmm. even though we don't always act like it. (laughs) Um, 
But, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight. And I can remember being a young person, you know, going through, you know, one crisis or another and having someone significantly older than me say, oh, it'll be okay, just write it through and thinking that is the stupidest response. But today, you know, there are young people around me who are going through, you know, their own transitions or their own crises. And I want to say to them, you know, just write it through. It will be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I always remember back to that younger version of myself thinking that's just a stupid thing to say out loud. But it's not. I think it's true. But it's not. It's it's very true. And it does help you get through when things seem like they're not going to be okay. You know, just hearing that from somebody else is is makes it feel like that's possible. So, so what was the book really, again? The book was called In Five Years by Rebecca Cyril. It's great. Really awesome. highly, highly recommend a, a, a lot. Um, nice, fun read, especially when you're holed up at home. The <laughs> other, the other book um, I wanted to briefly talk about because admittedly I am not finished with this book. I am plodding through it. It is much different than I thought it was going to be. And this is Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. This Mm -hmm. book won the National Book Award for Fiction in 2019. It it came out in December of 2019. And it is not about exercise at all. It has nothing (laughs) to do with exercise, um, which was, I was really dismayed by that. And it is, it's very different. So the book is, there are three different sections to the book. They're all loosely related, although they're all in different time periods. So the first, and I'll explain why I'm plodding through it and had a bit of a problem at the beginning. The Mm -hmm. first part of the book starts out, it's 1982. The setting is a performing arts school called the Citywide Academy of Performing Arts. It's on the East Coast near New York City. Yeah. And um, the main characters in the first section are Sarah and David. They're two freshmen in high school. Sarah is the narrator of this section. And they, I'm just going to say it, they have sex all the time. And it's as the mother (laughs) of a 14-year-old freshman, it was so cringy. I, I was like, wait a minute, these kids are 14 years old. I know I'm showing my naivete, I guess. I don't know. But I really had a hard time yeah. with that aspect of it. It it made me a little unsettling stomach. Yes, disturbed. Definitely disturbed. And then the you know, the other part of this this section of the novel also describes their drama teacher, Mr. Kingsley, who gets uberly involved in their lives. And Uh then uses what he learns from them about what they're going through, their relationships and friendships and all this kind of stuff. He uses what these kids confide in him as a mechanism for their drama class. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, throws these things out during acting exercises and expects them to kind of grapple through them in front of everybody. And that, you know, as a teacher, that was also, it was really disturbing and uncomfortable for me. Um, He's crossing a line. He definitely crossed a line. And even though he never physically abuses um, them, Mm -hmm. um, 
he definitely would be guilty of emotional abuse. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. And the book goes on, it progresses in time. Um, it goes, the second section goes on to 1997. There's a different narrator who was a different student at the school. And we find out that everything from the first part of the book, Sarah, the, the narrator of the first part has used all of that and per and written a novel. And has used all of that, um, what the first part describes. She she takes all of that, and that is supposedly in this novel that she publishes. So the second part of the book is about how another student named Karen, who's the narrator of the second part, reacts to this. Interesting. And um, it's, it's very psychological. It's written each section is written from the standpoint of the narrator in a very stream of consciousness style right so you don't ever have that third party giving you a break or you know what i mean or or kind of giving you a context for what's happening and i right that's why i'm i'm struggling a little bit as i'm reading it because i need that break it's as a interesting reader. It's interesting that you say that. I think I've just said the word interesting like six times and several times that. <laughs> but no, I've heard two other podcasts attempt or just to or, or discuss this book. And both of them seem to have difficulty conveying what it was or difficulty conveying the complexity or the psychological complexity of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think you're catching the same thing i mean it sounds like yeah it could be a very compelling read and a very interesting read if you're willing to be disturbed um and plenty of people are but yeah it also does sound like you're 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 saying what i've heard before which is to your point it doesn't let up right you know? yeah. yeah it doesn't you need you need to take breaks i mean you know at least for me as a as a teacher and a parent reading this, it definitely requires some space. Yeah. Um, and, and some time to plod through it. And, you know, she is a high, Susan Choi is a highly praised author and, you know, obviously people, people really love this book to give it the national book award. Um, it's just not, it's not easy to get through. And I can see this being a very compelling book club read. Right. Because there's so much, so much to unpack. Yeah. So um, that's that's trust exercise by Susan Choi, and it'll probably be out in paperback soon. But I know it's at your libraries and your bookstores. Book yeah. And so it so, might be for many people with a lot of time on their hands right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. can get in and and just fall into that world and and um, experience that book. Yeah. Take and and. Yeah, and grapple with it. You know, there's more time to think about it now, perhaps. So, but we've yeah, talked about so those are my books. Those are great books, and so we the the books we talked about: trust exercise in five years, the mirror and the light, and the splendid and the vile. All four books that we would highly recommend while yes. you're social distancing and keeping away from other people, um, and encourage you to read and share with other people. Yes. And so, stay safe out there, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay distant. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Don't <laughs> touch your face. Um, 
And yeah, you know, we really miss our, our regular uh, work environments like many of you do, but um, you know, we're all getting through this together. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Oxygen Starved Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on our Instagram account, which is O2Starved at Instagram. Leave us a comment, ask us a question, tell your friends. You can find the podcast itself on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, where our show page also is. And then, of course, on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, we encourage you to rate and review us so that other people can find out about this podcast. And we look forward to bringing the next edition to you and you listening to that one as well. So stay safe. Take a breath, relax, listen to us next time. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.